0: Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set Podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to seven seven nine seven seven to download. My name is Ali and my beautiful wife and I, we, we started a church at Santana four years ago called Center Set. Come on in. I'm going to do it quickly before we begin. Who, who was there four years ago when we started? Show of hands. Oh, wow. Come on. Show it. Put your hand down. Who was there year two, 2018? Second year. Okay. You can put your hand down. Who was there our third year, 2019? Come on now. Who was there online? Anybody join our church online? Okay. And then who's been with us since we've been going at 5 o'clock? This is a hyphy crowd. Come on. Uh, live at five, but God gave us a word. Gave me Pastor Yaz, a word uh, about uh, last fall. Really about this this name change. Again, it's not we're not rebranding. It's a new identity. And when God wants to change someone, He doesn't tell you how to behave. He tells you who you are, and then you change the way you live because your your identity changes your activity. If you go, if you're not even if you're not a Christian, go to Soul Cycle, They're like warriors. You can do this. You, you, you love donuts, but when you go to Soul Cycle, they, they tell you you're a warrior, you're a champion, and you want to work harder because that's your identity. What God does, He does not say, Don't do this, don't do that. He goes, You're a prince and a princess. And when you see who, who you really are, your behavior changes. Amen. And we are in a collection of talks called Happier Than Ever. So, play on words on a Billie Eilish, Billie Eilish song. And it's all about relationships. And in week one of this relationship, we, we try to go to people, what we're supposed to get from God. And we all got this hole in our heart that we we're created to be seen, known, and loved. And this week, people, Pablo, he's got underwear on. And I heard through the rumor reveal he was causing some people to stumble, so I apologize. And in week two, we talked about the biggest, second biggest relationship killer is that we love ourselves. We're just selfish in our relationships. And then last week, Pastor Pradeepin killed it. Can we get up for Pastor Pradeepin? Don't clap too much, he's a guest speaker. You don't clap that for me that way. Come on. Kidding, kidding. But today we're concluding our collection of talks. I'm just going to pause and before we begin, speak to those online and maybe in the room. Today's subject is PG. means parental guidance. Probably PG-13. I'm going to give those of you online, probably streaming. If you have little kids in the room, you might want them to leave because we're covering a subject that's going to make some people uncomfortable. If you have kids in the room, you might want to put them in in bold kids. And that subject is sex. Hmm. Can we talk about it today? That that, that some of you had, that, that your booty clenched for some of you. Some of you invited a friend. I'm so sorry I invited you today. Whatever that is, can we talk about that? That this is not a subject that we should be avoiding. Come on. And if, I can, if, you, if you think it's inappropriate for church, let me give you two ideas. Number, number one, maybe your idea of church is wrong. Church shouldn't just be a place where we come and worship and learn God. It should become a place where we come find hope and healing from God. Amen? And if, for example, if I were to speak on anger, 10% of the room would relate. If I spoke on gambling, 20% of the room would relate. If I spoke on alcoholism and drug use and substance abuse, 30% of you would struggle with that. But 100% of you are sexual beings. And the world is talking about it, and the devil's talking about it. And we should be talking about it. Amen? And one in one in, I'm sorry, 40% of all internet content is pornographic in nature. 40%. One in four Google searches is for sexual content. One in 10 kids under the age of 18 are abused before the age of 18. Come on, we, we got to talk about this. Uh, the number one reason cited for divorce is infidelity. Can we talk about this subject in the church this morning? Can I get a big Amen. Uh, And I just believe that maybe you went to the church that I went to. I was there for nine years. Not once did I ever hear a sermon on sex. Sex was icky. Sex was gross. You're supposed to save it for the one you love. And I just believe that there's people in this room that that it's difficult for you to have intimacy with your spouse because you've corrupted your mind with pornography. There are people in this room that every time your husband touches you, it takes you back to that abuser who took advantage of you. There are kids watching online, maybe in youth group or high school, that all of your friends are passing pictures of sexual girls and, and you, don't, you don't know how to follow Jesus in that culture. There's a divorcee in here, maybe watching online, that your spouse left but your desires did not leave. There's a widow in here that you can't even think about being intimate with someone. And, and we got to talk about this subject, Amen. Maybe the, the second reason why you think this subject is inappropriate for the church is maybe your your vision of sex is incorrect. And that's really my goal today. Not to teach you anything about sex because the culture is already teaching us, right? I want to redeem sex. I want to give you a biblical vision of sex, which is why the title of today's talk is this. Sex is more than what you see. I almost titled it Sex See, like S-E-E. was like, no, I don't want to go there. It's, that's... Too much of a word on play. But it's more than what you see in. Maybe some of you, you're new to church, and you're like, why are you Why are you qualified to speak on this subject? And you're right. I don't have, like, a degree on sex, but if you ask Pastor Yaz, I'm pretty calm. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, let me tell you why I said that. This is a heavy sermon. There's, like, maybe two jokes, and that was one of them. <laughs> and from here on out, it's going to be tough. So i got to get my last where I can. But I'm just thankful that our God and not Hugh Hefner invented sex. Amen. The Kardashians didn't invent it. Your favorite musical artist didn't invent it. And let me tell you, the very first time sex is mentioned in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. If you have it, it's on the screen. If you can see it, someone say amen. amen. It says, therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined. Someone say joined. To his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Someone say one flesh. This is not hand-holding, by the way. Husband and wife are not spooning or cuddling for a long time. This is God's way of describing sexual intimacy. And in the same way, that if you had never seen an iPhone, if you have an Android that's a paperweight, if you had never seen an iPhone, didn't know what it was, and I, and I said, use this, and you didn't know, like you like, what is this? I would give you the instruction manual, not from a Samsung phone, but for an iPhone. And the one that created the phone, he knows how it's supposed to be used. God invented sex, so he gave us a book called the Bible, which is the instruction manual on how to use this thing. Amen? But this is why you shouldn't go to Fifty Shades of Grey to get the definition. Come on. This is why you can't go to the Kardashians. Girl, let me just tell you, Kim K has been married three times. Chloe has never been married. And uh, Courtney. come on, every time she picks a boyfriend, he cheats on her. You don't want to get your definition from them. What about maybe you get your definition from the favorite episode of Friends. Come on. Ross and Rachel were dysfunctional. And can we go there? They were on a break. They were on a break. And maybe you get your definition from your favorite musical artist. When I was a kid growing up, before hip-hop blew up, it was all about boys to men. Anybody remember boys to men? I'll make love to you. Come on. Like you want me to. And Sing along with me. And I'll hold you tight, baby. All through the night. Can we just stop, pause? You're lying, boys to men. You might have sex at the end of the night. You might have sex in the middle of the night. You might have sex before night. But you're lying if you're saying sex. You have all through. Sex is exhausting. Do you even have sex to claim you're having all night long? Come on. Don't get your definition from porn. Pornhub is discipling more men in the church than Jesus. Can we go there? And you watch, like, some girl come to the house and she'll drop off like the hamburgers, and then five minutes later they're naked. And then someone comes to your house in real life, and in your mind, you're like, you're gonna come in? Because life is a fantasy. Because when you pervert pleasure, what was meant to bring pleasure brings pain. I wrote down like this when, if your expectation is an exaggeration, then your experience will leave you exasperated. Sex is a fantasy. And when you fill your mind with that kind of sex, you'll enter a marriage or relationship thinking there's something wrong with you or something wrong with your spouse. Well, that's a perversion. If you're watching online, maybe you're in this room, and you're getting your definition of sex from your friends. If your friend is under the age of 20, lives with parents, he's a moron. He knows nothing about sex. (laughs) And if I could speak to the parents, if any parents in the room today, you have until the age of nine. Because statistically speaking, kids in America are exposed to pornographic content by the age of 9 or 10. The highest porn users in America are 12-year-old boys. So if you wait until they're in high school, you're already late to the game. And if I can challenge the parents in the room, probably 8 or 9 is the perfect age because they're trying to push sexual education on kids at a very young age, and you want to disciple them, not the public school system. So if this good God, anybody believe God's a good God? Amen? If he's a good God, then he must have created sex to be good, which is my point number one. Someone say, See, see that sex is good. All the single people are like, Oh my gosh, I knew it. Trying to take notes here, trying to be an expert on something I'm not experiencing, but I heard it's good. Amen, Pastor. That is not the revelation that it feels good, the revelation that it's morally good. It's not evil, it's not wicked. There's no shame with the game. It's morally, God is pleased when you're being intimate with your spouse because it's good. Someone say good. So single people are like, if it's good, why can't I have some? And God wants you to. The question is not, why can't I have sex? The question, single people, I'm gonna speak to the single people for like 10 minutes and then I'm gonna speak to the married people. The question is, single people, then why should I not have it? Yet. Yet. Someone say yet. yet. And this is where some of you single people are confused. Because like you fill out a connect card when you join our church. And the first box was I accepted Jesus. The second box was I want to get baptized. There's a third box for growth track. There's no box for sex. I want sex, single people. <laughs> it's on the fine print on the back. You missed it. <laughs> but it's not that God doesn't want you to have He wants you to. But he wants you in the proper time and the proper place. In the same way, you don't build a fireplace on your, on your mattress. You don't build a fire in your car. You build a fire in the fireplace because your passion has a place. There's a context for where it's going to not hurt you but help you. And you gotta, you got to see it this way. Uh, God says this in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Do not commit adultery. And this is an this idea that I, single people are like, Pastor Ali, Pastor Ali, I'm not even married. I, I'm good. I'm just having sex with my girlfriend. And that's the point. She's not your wife, so you shouldn't be having sex with her. Jesus reiterates this point when he uses the word porneia. He says, if anyone has sex outside of marriage, it's porneia. And the word porneia is not sex within a marriage, by the way. Sex porneia was echoed in the book of Exodus and the book of Matthew is any sex outside of marriage. God's saying don't do it. And people always come to me, Pastor Allie, Pastor Allie, listen, listen, listen. She's not my wife, but she's my wifey. <laughs> Which so I respond, if she's no ringy, no dingy. <laughs> Girls be like, she's my, he's my man though, but is he your whoop man? That's what I'm trying to say. Is he your husband? Because there's no exceptions. doesn't matter if she's your high school sweetheart. doesn't matter if you're like married in your heart. You know, it doesn't even matter. Listen, this is going to be challenging for some of you if you're engaged You've got to wait why see this is what I don't want you to see I don't want you to see God sex is good but then God is bad and it's so easy to do that say oh there's this he created this amazing thing but then he's a, he's a killjoy there's this toy but he doesn't want me to play with it God's a good in the same way that parents when you bring your kids home from the hospital you don't put them in the bed of the truck you put them in a car seat right and when they're walking what do you do you put Plugs in all the outlets because you don't want them to hurt themselves. God is just put, putting parameters so that you won't hurt yourself. Anybody ever drive to Tahoe before? Anybody grateful for the guardrails? Anybody ever cuss the guardrails out? <laughs> so then why are you cussing God out? The guardrails aren't meant to control you. They're meant to save you. And I wrote down like this, number point number one, see that you wait to protect you. This, you got to get this in your spirit. God doesn't want you to wait because he's trying to withhold. It's meant for your benefit. It's meant for your benefit, protecting you. Proverbs chapter 5, starting at verse 15, says, Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Long before Beyonce was saying, get drunk in love. And before the hip-hop evangelist was saying, you know, uh, you thirsty. Ah. I don't even know what the song that is. God, God was describing your sexual urges with thirst. And God's saying, you're thirsty? Drink of your wife. And he's legitimizing the way that you fulfill your thirst. And it's okay to be thirsty, by the way, because God put it there. Maybe the religion you came out of, I came out of Islam, it was only for procreation. And there was this shame, this hiding, this, this fear around sex. But God's saying, it's, there's no shame here. Saying you're thirsty, drink from your wife. And if I can talk to the parents for a moment. Now you have a secret code to talk to your spouse with your kids around. Honey, are you thirsty? I'm parched. I'm, I'm parched. Kids, we're going to put on a Disney Plus. We're going to go to the bedroom and drink for a little bit. Mommy, there's no water in the bedroom. But then God doubles down on this metaphor. See, there's a kind of drinking that when you do it God's way, it fills you. Look at look at the language. Drink water. It's going in. It's filling me. Drink water from your own well. Share your love with your own wife. But when you do sex the opposite way of God's design, look what he says. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? I wrote it down like this. Write this down. There's a sex that fills you. And the, and there's a sex that spills. There's a sex that fills, and there's a sex that, that spills. And there's a sex, if I can bring this over, that, that when you have it with your spouse, you feel amazing. Because you have this thirst, and then you're quenching your thirst with your wife. And you feel better afterwards than you did before, but there's another kind of sex. We've all maybe maybe you didn't grow up in church. I didn't get saved till 24. There was another kind of sex, but. When you go out to the club and you take someone home, and then when you're putting on your pants, taking the Uber home, you feel more empty the next day than you did the night before. And not that you felt empty in the moment, you feel empty afterwards. Why? Because there's this idea that when you're having sex with your spouse, it's being poured out, and it's being poured back in. You're loving each other and serving each other. And your thirst is being quenched, and it's filling you. But there's another kind of sex. See, our culture wants to tell you that sex is only physical. That when you're hungry, you eat. When you're thirsty, you drink. When you're horny, you just have sex. But it's deeper. That there's, there's this hidden realm of sexuality that when I pour myself out to someone, let's say, let's say I, I give myself to my high school sweetheart. And l- let's say we're intimate. And, and let's say two years later, he moves to college. Or she moves to college. I want to be the guy. She moves to college. (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) She moves to college, and she doesn't want to be with me anymore. This part of me that I gave her, what's happening is is she's not taking care of it. And she's spilling a part of me that is me because now it's emptying me. Because when you have sex with someone who's not your spouse, the Bible says it's like spilling. It's like I'm pouring it out. I go, okay, well, maybe that person wasn't the one, maybe maybe it's Rachel, maybe it's another person, and you know, Rachel, it didn't work out, because, I don't know, she's a Lakers fan, just couldn't do that, <laughs> and then maybe I'll, I'll date Jessica, and maybe I'll try it with her, and we'll date for a year, and then we moved across the country, and she got a job in Boston, I got, and it just didn't work out, and I keep... Having sex, I keep having intimacy with someone, thinking that this person is going to be the one. This is the one I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. But what I don't realize is that I keep pouring myself out, pouring myself out. And maybe I, I saw this in college. There was a girl. She dated Jeff. Then she dated Richard. And then she dated Sam. And then she said, maybe the problem is the cup. Maybe instead of dating him, I need to date her. And she dated another girl. And then she poured her heart out. And the same thing kept happening. She kept pouring her heart out. And she kept getting empty. And the problem is not that you, that they're spilling your water. The problem is that you keep pouring it out. And whenever I talk to people that think sex is meaningless, it's usually the people that have had the most sex. So what they do is they, they devoid sex of all its meaning to deal with the trauma of rejection. They did a study in 2013 at Rutgers University. They tried to identify, is there a correlation between the number of times you have sex and your mental health? And they found there is a correlation. They found the most depressed people on campus, the people that had the most suicidal thoughts, were the people that had the most sexual partners. That's not by accident because those people keep pouring themselves out, thinking sex is just physical. And this is where some of you are like, this is why I don't come to church. Because you're just making me feel bad for the life I'm already living. And that's just part of the gospel. The gospel is good news. Someone say good news. But to receive the good news, you got to hear the bad news. Bad news is, come on, we've all emptied ourselves. But the story doesn't end there. Because this room is not filled with good, perfect people. This room is filled with empty people. Amen? And there's a story that's my favorite story. If you've never read this story, you got to read this. John chapter 4. Jesus is sitting by a well. And there's this girl. And he goes, girl... I heard you're thirsty. I got some water that if you drink it, you'll never thirst. And she goes, I want this water. She goes, go get your husband. She goes, I'm not even married. He goes, just right. Thank you for not lying, daughter. You've been married five times, and you've been divorced five times, and now the guy you're shacking up with, he's not even your husband. She goes, how would you know that? She goes, I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to give you water that when you drink it, it will be like springs of living water. It will quench. You keep drinking from men thinking they're going to satisfy you. But there's a water that I'm going to give you. There's a water that if you walk into this room and you're empty, there's a God in heaven. He can redeem every brokenness, every sexual experience that you've had. Even when you're abused, he can fill you up. Anybody believe that? Someone shout amen. If you're single, the first thing you got to see, you got to wait to protect yourself. Point number two, see that you wait to protect the relationship. If you, the person you're dating, if they're like, oh my gosh, this is the one, they're my ride or die. Wait to have sex. Wait to have sex. And I wrote it down like this. You sex makes a great pinnacle for a relationship, but a poor foundation. Poor foundation. There's this idea like what sustains a relationship. People often say sex. No, it's good communication, it's character. It's serving one another. You know what, makes a, you know what sustains a relationship? The, the ability to have conflict resolution. You know what makes a relationship enjoyable? Sex. But often, when we don't want to do the hard work of having proper communication, serving one another, we will fill sex with that void of lack of character. This is why we have great makeup sex. I'm angry with you. I don't like you. Let's go have sex. And we try to rebuild the intimacy with physical instead of having conversation. This is where a couple sometimes, you know what they'll do is we need a baby. We're having tension. There's distance. Let's add a third person to this thing called crazy. It never works. Why? Because we're trying to build the relationship on sex where it needs to be built on love, serving one another, and character. Amen? Sex is a great pinnacle, but a poor foundation. And, And if I could just press in for a little bit, if you are Living with that person. Listen, I'm not going to change the standard because the standard of living here is crazy. But I'll say this, sleep in different rooms. Sleep in different rooms. If you really love this, and we've, we've done that with couples in this church, where they were living with the person because they couldn't financially afford to live somewhere else. And I said, you aren't allowed to sleep in that bed. I had one dude said, Pastor Ali, come on. I can sleep next to her and not have sex. I said, bro, your problem is not sex. Your problem is you're a liar. (laughs) You are more like Satan than you realize, bro. That's your problem. Because if you can sleep next to her and not, you got issues. They did a study in 2019 where they, they, they measured couples who cohabitated before marriage. You would think practice would make perfect. You think when you put the underwear in this drawer and you put the dishes in that drawer because you live together before marriage, it's going to make the marriage more successful. They actually found the opposite. You are 1.3 times, which means 30% more likely to get divorced if you cohabitate before marriage. Even research outside the scriptures are saying, don't do it. Don't do it. If I can, if I can challenge some of you, men specifically, if I can use this weight as a picture of sexual bondage or luggage. See, most men, statistically speaking, 70% of men inside and outside the church have a porn issue. And specifically with single men, they go, I don't need to deal with this because one day I'm going to get married. I'm going to have sex seven days a week. I'm going to have sex when I wake up in the morning. I'm going to come home during my lunch break. (laughs) And then every night we're going to Netflix and chill I'll deal with my flesh after, and all the merry men say you're an idiot, right? <laughs> and so what they do is they have this secret sin that they don't ever deal with. And it's this luggage, and it's heavy. And it doesn't just hold you back in life. It holds you away from God. This is why in Hebrews chapter 12 it says, throw away every weight that what? Hinders you. There's a sin that hinders. And if I could get Pastor Yaz to come up, what is my burden when I'm single? Becomes our burden when we're married. And now I'm not not just carrying it. You gotta put your arm right here. Now we're carrying it. You do, oh, it's heavy. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. But I got it. I do hot yoga. (laughs) (laughs) But so often we we think, oh, if I put a piece of metal on my finger, all my sexual issues are gonna go away. This is why it's so important to get healed of those things before, because you're just carrying luggage in marriage. You don't have sex before marriage. Why? Because it's going to not just protect you, but it's going to protect the marriage. Can we give a hand, Professor Yaz? Thank you so much. (laughs) Single people. The question was, why can't I have sex yet? The question for married people sounds the same, but it's different. Sex is good. Someone say amen. But why aren't we having it more? Awkward. All the men in the room. That's a prophet right there. Where's the offering? I'm gonna bless this pastor in Jesus' name. I knew I liked this church. Now I'm confident the Spirit of God is here. Why aren't? If it's good, then why aren't we doing it more? I wrote down like this: Married people, see how important sex is to a marriage. See when when God, if God is a like a hipster. He's the first one to wear skinny jeans, right? He's the first one to wear Air Force Ones. And then all the posers copy him because he's the original hipster. Think of that example. God is the first one to create. He's the first one. He didn't just create one kind of butterfly. He created 20,000 kinds of butterflies. Satan, though, is not a creative person. He's a poser. He takes what God creates and he perverts it. He, he's the dude on Instagram that follows you but doesn't like any pictures, because he's watching what you're doing and then he's going to steal your style. That's what Satan does. He takes God, the things that God creates and then he twists it to make God look bad. See, God says, if you want to get close to me, deny your flesh. Satan says, feed your flesh, knowing it's going to pull you away from God. God knows that you can't do life alone, that does not matter how strong you are, how faithful you are, you need a community of faith pushing you to do cause Your commitment lasts longer in community. If you don't believe me, why do you think CrossFit is such a hit? Why do you think psych? Because you're doing it in a community. So if Satan knows that, he's going to pervert what God created. That's why bad company corrupts good character. Satan knows that, but you don't. And so if God created sex to be good, listen, he's going to use it to bind you to that person. There are very few areas where the, the Word of God and the state of California agree. That means if you get married in California... This is a real example. If you get married and don't have sex on your marriage night, the next morning you can annul the marriage. Because the state of California says you weren't really married. It's not binding until you consummate the marriage. If God uses sex to bind you, not hobbies, not your political affiliation, not the, not the music you like, not that you're both like you, you love, you know, West Craven movies or you love going to Disneyland, those things are good things. But what binds you, what brings you together is sex. So God, Satan will use the very thing God created to pull you apart. He will use sex to tear you two apart. I read it like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you give yourself more completely to prayer. Let me just point out, it's kind of obvious that we're supposed to do two things, having sex and prayer. Let's go home, amen? <laughs> That's what he seems to imply. But there's a reason. Here's why. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. God uses sex to bring you together. Satan will use sex to tear you apart. And let me just speak to this tension because this verse makes some of the women in this room uncomfortable. I want to speak to that tension. There are some women in this room, you love your husband, you serve your husband, and he treats you terribly. And you feel used. That I'm serving him and he still doesn't love me. And there are divorced people that you will serve your spouse and he will still cheat you and you leave you. I want to speak to that tension of God saying do it, but then you feeling is like when I do it, What's the matter? I wrote down like this: Having sex will not save your marriage, but not having sex will destroy it. It's good. It's don't don't let Satan pervert this thing and tear you apart. In the scriptures, there is this word "echad." Some say "echad." God says, "The Lord your God is one." It's the same word that we read in Genesis chapter two that. A husband will leave his father and mother and be joined and become one flesh. It's that word "echad," that God, the way, the the word He uses to describe Himself as the Trinity—God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit—as one is the same word He uses to describe you and your spouse. Two, a plurality, become one. Sex binds you. Sex binds you, and uh, having sex will not save your marriage. But not having sex will destroy us. Let me speak to why married people don't want sex. We're tired. Which is like all the time, right? We're busy. We're overwhelmed with life. Let me just pause for a moment. There are single people in the room, their mind is like, what? There are married people that can have sex and they're choosing not, get behind me, Satan. What do you mean? And all the married people are like, dude, there are times. No, we don't. Right? I think if the 13-year-old me met the 40-year-old version of me, and he's like, wait, let me get this straight, Pastor Allie. You got into a fight with your spouse, your wife, and now you don't want to have sex with her. He's like, I'm like, yeah, he would karate chop me in the throat. He's like, bro, you go get some, bro. I'm like, bro, I would tell the 13-year-old me, you need to shut up, Okay. Raising two kids is exhausting. Paying for a mortgage is tiring. Being a portable church where we set up and tear down is, Monday mornings I feel like a truck hit me. You need to shut up, 13-year-old version of me. You have no idea what you're talking about. But we need to have more sex. Because it's the thing, living under the same roof doesn't bind you. Sex does. So let me tell you what my therapist told me. Number one, have a healthy conversation about expectations. My pastor did this example. He said, this is how often I want sex. And this is how often my wife wants sex. And it's not that I'm ungodly. and It's not that she is either. God created us different. And you have that conversation so that the expectations are clear. And this is where some of you, your homework, whether you've been married two days or 20 years, have that conversation. Have it with the kids in the room. How thirsty are you, honey? Because I'm parched. (laughs) I'm parched. Have that conversation. Number two, schedule it. This makes people uncomfortable. Oh, my sally, if I put it in the calendar, it's going to lose all of its passion and intimacy. Listen, if you were going to have an affair, you would schedule it you would book the hotel, you'd book the babysitter, and you'd still have passion. Don't make excuses. You need, listen, you need to have a sex day. Sunday's not just for church, it's Sunday fun day. It's make out Monday, come on. Two for Tuesday. Wow, wow Wednesday, throw down Thursday, and freaky Friday. All the religious people are so uncomfortable right now. And it's Sabbath Saturday because we'll die if we go seven days a week. (laughs) But you need to schedule it, and it's healthy. Because here's the reason why. There will be times the men will have to wait a little bit because he wants it, but he's got to wait. And there will be times where maybe the woman doesn't, and she'll be forced to serve. And so there's this, you have to agree on the day, of course. But it's this balance of healthiness where you're serving one another. I don't know if I should say this joke, so I'm going to. Leave it, should I say it? Yes. No, I, I I trust Pastor Yaz. Yes. I ain't gonna go there. I ain't gonna go there. Married people. Sex is more than what you see. This is for single people for single people too. Sex is more than what you see. If I get the the band to come up, there is something spiritual about sex that we need to understand. No, I'm sorry. Sex starts before the bedroom. You can, a little early. I I called you up a little too early. Sorry. See that sex starts before the bedroom. If driving a car is like having sex, then everything you do before and after driving is adding fuel to the tank. And you need to realize intimacy with your spouse begins before the bedroom. So there are times I'll be talking to Pastor Yaz and I will say something rude and mean and harsh and instantly I feel the conviction of God. Oh, I broke God's heart when I said that. That's number one. Number two, I broke my wife's heart. Number three, I know we're not having sex tonight. (laughs) It just ain't happening. I just know. It just just ain't happening. And so I got to realize it's not just what I say, it's how I say it. It's how I say it. And... Ladies, this is how you get ready, to get us ready. Nothing. We're always ready. We are always ready. Now, we're ready. But if I could speak candidly, there are things that men can do to speak lovingly to our spouses. Pastor Yass, for example, she has a love language that is words of affirmation and quality time. And I would challenge the men in this room, do you know the love language of your spouse? It's a book by a guy named Gary Chapman. And, you're supposed, and it's this idea that you, we love to receive a love a certain way, and we expect and think that the other person likes to receive the way that we do. So my love language is physical touch, and my second one is physical touch. So I'm always rubbing up against Pastor Yaz. She's doing the dishes. I'm like, hey, how are you? How are you? How are you doing? She hates, She's allergic to me. Her love language is, is words of affirmation. And it's changed since we've had kids. When I speak to her, she wants me to speak to her love language. But now that we have kids, my kids drive me crazy. I'll lose my temper. And it will turn her off physically from me. And there are times where Pastor Yaz will, like, you know, I've had to, like, learn to control my temper with my little kids. Because the more loving I am, not with, just with her, but with our kids, the more likely she is wanting to be intimate. A couple weeks ago, she was losing her mind. Our kids were like, I think I gave them too much sugar. And they were like on one, like running around the house, not listening. Especially our little one. She's like, she she throws fists now. And Pastor Yaz was losing it. I'm like, babe, I got this. I'm like, let me handle it. I'm doing my best. I want to throw my kids across the room. And I'm like loving them and being patient. I put her to bed. Pastor Yaz was like, what are you doing tonight? What are you doing tonight? Come on. And, that, and do you realize that what you do outside the bedroom influences what happens in the bedroom? Ladies, can I speak to you? Uh, there's a woman by the name of Esther Perel. She has a TED Talk, Why We Cheat. She's not a believer. And she says the number one reason why people cheat is not for sex. This is how the other person makes them feel. And as a pastor, I've seen her research but I can tell you, there is a way that a woman can make a man feel like a man. And it's the worst word, honor. Do you honor your husband? Now, let me just pause right there and say, it's not your job, ladies, to make your husband feel like a man. He's supposed to get that from God. Adam was an, was, felt like a man before Eve ever entered the picture. He's supposed to go to prayer. He's supposed to fix his daddy issues. He's supposed to go to God. It does not fall on you, but that's your superpower. You can either tear him up. Or tear them down. You choose. You choose. That's why when, when every time, even when Pastor Yaz and I are, are not good and we're good 90% of the time, I will always say, pray for me. And when I'm annoyed with her, I'll stay on the other side of the room. Pray for me. And I'll have the door open, like wanting to leave. And she knows, I'm not cool with you, but I, st- I still need your words. I still need your prayers. Because when you believe in me, I can go preach a money sermon. You, you can build up your husband with your words. Last point. Now, if I can get the dude with the keys to come up. <laughs> Sex is more than what you see. You got to see this. You got to see this. And then the guys that are coming up, doing the uh, illustration, thank you, take this down. Sex is more than what you see. And I know often pornography, the, the lure is the naked body. And this is crazy. Infants, they will look for for the, the, a woman's breast, even though they don't know what it is, because you're hardwired to go towards it to get breast milk. And so men w- were aroused by images. But sex is more than just physical. There's something that happens in the spiritual realm. You can put the ropes down. I'll give it to them. They're getting ahead of the game. Let me read you First Corinthians six. Give you some theology around the power and the binding of sex. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy and leaves us more lonely than before. So when we spill it, the kind of sex that can never become one. There's a sense in which sexual sins are completely different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with one another. I want to make an illustration. So often... We don't realize the the power of sex. And maybe when you were in high school, you, you met someone and they were your first crush and you became intimate, right? What you didn't realize is you created what theologians call a soul tie with that person. That even after you're gone, there's a spiritual, Paul says it, He actually warns them in 1 Corinthians 7 not to have sex with a prostitute because you'll become one. There's this glue that happens spiritually with that person. How do you know you have a soul tie? You'll argue with your wife, maybe your girlfriend. You'll leave and you'll think about that person. I wonder what they're up to. And you'll look them up on Facebook. And you'll look them up on Instagram because that soul tie is still there. Maybe you thought you moved on and then there was that, that person in college, you know, you met. It's just a party and you drank a little bit too much and you didn't want a relationship. It was just, you know, FBW, Friends with Benefits, FWB. You like, it's not that big of a deal. We're, we're safe, we're not hurting anyone, not realizing sexual sin, you're sitting against yourself. Like when you lie, the sin dies, it's gone. But when you sexually sin, there's a connection. Even if that person moves away, there's that soul tie. I got, and I got another soul tie. Maybe for some of you in this room, it wasn't what you did, but what someone did to you. You were abused. One in 10 kids under the age of 18 are sexually abused. They say one in four college girls is sexually assaulted. Maybe that was you. You didn't do anything, but something was done to you and your abuser is gone, and you're, still, and you're saying, I didn't do anything, Pastor Ellie." How can I be as the victim still tied? That's what the scriptures say. And maybe, for some of you, you have a secret addiction to, let's say, pornography. Yeah, Pastor Ali, that's not even a real person. How in the world can I be tied to a person on the screen? you're having sex with that person, virtually. There are studies after studies that says that the more sex that you watch online, the less pleasing sex in real life is. I remember there was my roommate in college took a sex education class, that there were men. Obviously, this is in the extreme case. They had to be watching porn while they were having sex because their spouse no longer aroused them, because they had such a connection to that other person, because God created you to be bound one, and the language of becoming one. This, the scientists will tell you it's like almost like a neural pathway. That you ever been like a, a on a trail hiking, and there's that path where you walk, and the grass on the, there's on one side, but there's that path. And the grass dies along the path. And the more you walk along the path, the harder it becomes. And even when it rains, it shines, winter, summer, the path is still there. That's what's happening in your brain. There's a book called "The How Porn Rewires Your Brain. What you're doing is you're creating a neural pathway in your brain for pleasure. And the more you do it, only that will pleasure you. And the question then becomes, well, Pastor Hall, I got... I got all these soul ties. What's the solution? How do I get free? Three things I want you to do. Number one, if you're writing this down, confess it. Someone say, confess it. James chapter 5, verse 16. I love this verse. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 1 John 1 says, when you confess your sin to God, you're forgiven. This is saying something different. It's saying when you confess your sin to one another, you're healed. There's a healing that can't happen in the prayer closet. It happens in community. You need to find a therapist or you need to find a pastor. Because God can't heal what you hide. Number two, cancel it. Someone say cancel it. Our culture, we have this this idea of cancel culture where you have nothing to do with that thing because they did something, like, that's unforgivable. You need to cancel porn. You need to cancel that relationship and have nothing to do with it. That's the language. There are two times in the Scriptures where the Bible encourages you to run, spiritually speaking. Run to Jesus and run from sexual sin. Let me show you this in 1 Corinthians 6. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as, as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Number three, crucify it. Someone say crucify it. This is where you're going to need Jesus. The first two you can do. The third one you don't have the power to do it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He used his servant body, to carry our sins to the cross so that we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way by his wounds. His wounds became your healing. This is what we got to understand about the gospel. Jesus knows that we have these emotional, spiritual connections, these soul ties. So how does God remove this connection that's to, to us and not him? This is why Jesus became sin. The one that was sinless became sinful. The one that was perfect became sexually immoral so that people like me and you could be forgiven. And this is what the gospel does. God takes the soul tie that's to you and he attaches it to himself. And then on a cross he does this and he dies for it. So, that you won't have to die for it. So, the connection, the brokenness, the emptiness goes on him and not you. But there's a key though you can't get this healing, this forgiveness, this brokenness. This last point is this you gotta surrender. You gotta surrender your sexual life over to God. It, It doesn't just happen coming to church, it doesn't just happen being around Christians. It's when you surrender in your heart. I say, God, I I did things with people I, I didn't know I should have done. I give it to you, God. Thank you for leaving heaven and becoming sinful, dying in my place. See, Christianity is not a religion about morality. I know non believers that are more moral than Christians, it's about forgiveness room is full of forgiven people. People that had an empty jar and God filled us up. Amen? You guys can close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to pray for some people. God, I just believe this room is full of people, God. I don't believe there's one person, God, that has lived up to your standard. That has done what you have called us to do in Scripture but the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to be perfect to come to church. We don't have to be clean to come to you. We can come empty. We can come broken. Because you're the God who sees and loves and forgives. Thank you, Jesus, that I can come to you and ask for forgiveness and you can break those soul ties that I can start over with you I have a fresh start even when I don't deserve it. God, you're good. Your designs are good, your ways are good, and the way you love me, God, is good. I want to pray for specifically for the people in this room that maybe are too embarrassed God to confess and admit they have a porn addiction. I pray Jesus that you give them the courage that they would find one person in this church to confess their sin and cancel it. I pray for those, God, that maybe were abused, they were taken advantage of. God, would you give them hope that even they can find hope, they can find healing, that even that soul tie can be broken. I pray, Lord, for those that are in a relationship Maybe you are married, have kids, and they still rethink about that one partner in the past. Because that soul tie is still there. Pray, God, that, that you would break that soul tie in Jesus' name. Pray that you would set them free in Jesus' name. Pray for the single people, God. Teach them to wait. Pray for the married people. That they would see how important sex is and have more of it. With every eye closed and with every head bowed. There are some of you in this room that you have not started yet a relationship with the living God. Christianity is less about a religion and more about a relationship with the God who created sex but then saw his people Misuse it and then he died for us in our place. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to go anywhere. You need to simply believe in Jesus. That God, 2,000 years ago, became a man, lived a sinless and perfect life, and on the cross, he became our sin, our brokenness, so that we could find life, so that we could be forgiven. If that's you today. And those of you watching online, if you want to start a relationship with the living God, I want to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up because I want to pray for you. On the count of three, with every eye closed and every head bowed, one, two, three. Amen. Amen, I see your hand. I see your hand. Put your hand down. Pray this prayer. Thank you, Jesus for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for the, for the free gift of salvation. I repent, God. I turn from my ways. I turn from this way of doing life sexually and I want to do it your way because your way brings life. When I do it your way, it fills me. When I did it my way, it emptied me. I give you my sexuality, God. I place my faith in my trust, my hope in you. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. If you prayed that prayer, we would love to celebrate with you. Can we stand and sing these last couple of songs?